Welcome to Endo Voices, brought to you by the American Association of Endodontists, the show where we are advancing the art and science of endodontics and promoting the highest standards of patient care with today's top experts in the field. Now, here's your host, Dr. Marcus D. Johnson. Hi there, it's Marcus, and before we get started, here's a quick important word from our sponsor. Are you ready to show your commitment to endodontics? Join the more than 8,000 professionals who help make the AAE the world's premier endodontic association. Being a member and a member of the AAE provides you with access to tools and education that can enhance your clinical skills and practice success while connecting you with thousands of like-minded colleagues. Join today. Visit aae.org backslash join. Thank you so much. Welcome back to another episode of Indo Voices. And we have a legendary conversation for you. We have Dr. Dean Valfiatis, who is the director of the Full Mouth Re uh, Rehab Program at NYU and has been teaching for over 30 years, has a legacy of uh, mentoring and just really elevating the profession from a prosthodontic standpoint. So, Dr. Dean, welcome. It is really just uh, great to have you on today. Thanks so much for the time. Thank you, Dr. Marcus, for uh, letting us do this. And I always enjoy sharing information with our colleagues and Again, if we could help one or two doctors, a couple of patients, I think we did our, our service. Yeah, yeah. And I would definitely say I think that's kind of where we are alike in that we always have a passion and a motivation to just strive for excellence, whether it's with our patient care, with our education, and your reputation definitely precedes you as someone who is always uh, pushing the limits. And I guess when we talk about technology and, uh, it, you know, just scanners and the way that you've grown and shaped your practice and really have mentored so many young dentists. Uh, yeah. It's just, it's really inspirational. So congrats to you on that. Um, we really just want to kind of have a conversation about full mouth rehab. And I guess within the, the scope of dentistry, but also how does endodontics fit into that, you know, into the whole plan. And so if you can just maybe give us a little bit of background about yourself and then kind of overview of, full mouth rehabilitation and endodontics within the scope of that. That would be fantastic. Thank you, Marcus. Uh, well, we started our practice, you know, 19, 1991 after I finished the Prosta program. And it was, uh, you know, kind of going to different offices, learning the trade. And I started my own practice. I kind of had one patient. I did a cleaning. You know, you start off really slow. And yeah. I, but one thing I, I was taught in Prosta was working with our specialists. It's always been a, a very important part of my career. And, uh, you know, without, I call it the team, it's the dream team of my perio, my endo, my oral surgery, my ortho. Uh, but now we have sleep apnea specialists like Jay Newhouse. We have a TMJ specialist. We finally found a phenomenal uh, uh, TMJ doctor that actually helps the patients get better. Uh, it's been 30 years and I finally found one. His name is Dr. Peter Farrow. He's in our office. So if anybody needs a, a real good TMJ person that actually helps people get better, that's the guy. So Love I call that. that dream team of specialists. And listen, we can't do our work yesterday. It just happened again. We have full mouth rehabilitation patients. They're disabled. We put together a treatment plan. And part of that treatment plan includes the records, the diagnostics. Everybody gets a CBCT scan. Everybody gets uh, x-rays and digital photographs. So with that, uh, we now take that information. We give it to our endodontist. We give it to our, our surgeon. We give it to the parents. Everybody's got the same kind of uh, information. And then when we get on that phone to do the consult, we'll say, okay, I, I'm going to start with provisionals first, setting up the vertical dimension. I need the endo done on Friday. I need you to do five endos on Friday. 
because we don't like to waste time. I'm not going to have the patient sitting there 10 visits to do, you know, six endos. I want my endodontist to sit there alone, relaxed, bang out the three or four endos, you know, one visit uh, uh, endodontics, which really works well, whether they're vital or non-vital. Obviously, if there's a big infection, uh, you know, it take a little bit, maybe a second visit. But I want our, our team to work efficiently. You know, would you rather numb up the patient six times or do it once and just get it all done, especially in the lower anteriors where they wore their teeth down so much, they're all flattened out. And I need the endo done so I could put my posts in and I could start building up the core to raise the vertical. So these are right, the same right. not just a you know, blown out tooth that you're just doing an endo because it's a, it's a different type of, of workflow for the FMR type of patient. You know, I really like that. And it sounds to me like you really have a, uh, a high functioning, multi-specialty, you know, practice. And so when we talk about that, where do you kind of feel that the treatment planning for endodontics should take place? And I love that you're talking about scanners. Every patient gets scanned. You know, I use a CBCT as well. And we find that with modern technology, it's just a better diagnostic tool. And obviously from a full mouth rehab standpoint, just allows, I guess, all of us to communicate better. Like you said, it's the information that we gain from this yeah. digital technology that's so important. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and like I said, endo, it, it's a big part of our team. Now, sometimes we'll uh, you know, different scenario where where we'll prep the case, we'll have the provisionals in, and then the patient starts getting sensitive. So then again, and, and the way that we talk to our patients, is a, it's a big disclosure. Hey, mm -hmm. hey, we're rebuilding your mouth, like rebuilding a house. You're going to find some plumbing that doesn't work, right? You're going to find <laughs> right. things that don't work. I said, I said, don't be upset if you get a sensitive tooth. Don't be upset if a tooth's moving. We're here for you. You tell us which, what's going on. You got a sensitive tooth after we prepared. We're getting the endo done. There's a little part of our diagnostic treatment plan. It said there may be two or three, and we look at the case together with the endodontist. Uh, most of the time, it's not a PAP. Most of the time, it's a it's a sort of a crack root or or a tooth that's worn down. And I'll say to the my endo guy, I'll say, listen, do you think that one's going to go in there? Because I got to prepare it. It's like, yeah, let's do that preemptively. We have no problem talking to the patient saying, look, we're going to do these things because we know it's going to be sensitive. So why are we going to put you through pain? Let's just get it done. So that we know when we're doing our case, we're not popping up a tooth and popping up another tooth and delaying the case and, 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 and kind of, I call it derailing the case, right? We have a plan. We're going through the plan. We have our sequence of treatment. We're following this course. And all of a sudden, two teeth become sensitive and you're derailing the whole case. And sometimes it becomes a problem, even for the endodontist. He's got temps in. We're ready to finish. And I go, I have my castings ready. He's like, you can't finish this tooth. I got it. We don't know if we're going to save it. And now it becomes this this bad kind of like, oh, no, we, we really kind of <laughs> wait now to see if we're going to save the tooth and change the case. So over 30 years of making all these mistakes, now we're like, OK, you're going to need at least five endos, put aside money, you know, $10,000 for endo. And we have that ready for them so that they're not kind of surprised. So a lot of disclosure. You will need four or five endos during this treatment. Uh, you, we're disclosing that from the beginning. It's not like, oh, I, we didn't know what's going to happen. What happened, Doc? How did this happen? It's a, not a surprise. It's a very, very calculated, and that comes from just from experience. You know, treatment planning with my endodontist, my periodontist, um, a surgeon, who, the orthodontist. Sometimes will start moving teeth. You start moving teeth. Now you got an endo problem. That's right. right? That's right. So endo. That becomes a factor. So you know, <laughs> you know, being down the path so many times, I, I know. Looking at an x-ray, looking at a tooth, looking at the patient, looking at the bite. All right, you know what? Let's do these endos right away and just get it out of the way. And then we know we can kind of go with our case. No, I think that's fantastic. And like they say, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. And so 
with that, uh, you know, upfront disclosure, I guess you're doing a lot of uh, pre-restorative endo. Sounds like even some, um, you know, you're letting the patient know that, hey, endo is probably on the on the horizon. And when you have those conversations, I know you use a lot of technology. Where does like uh, technology like Seric come in? Because if you're doing same day fittings, now the tooth becomes symptomatic. Um, you know, how are we yeah. really managing those situations? So one visit, and let's, let's, let's divert to single unit dentistry for a second. Okay. Uh, we had Seric in 2004. Okay. I was the first Seric. Early adopter. Yeah. In, in New York city. They had a target on my back. They thought, <laughs> they thought I was crazy. They said, you can't be doing this dentistry. It's bad dentistry. I said, if the, if the dentist is not a good dentist, the machine is no good. I said, but if you can Great have quote. a good dentist with great technology, the sky's the limit. I mean, we were making single unit centrals with, with Seric. It was an awesome technology. So if you bring that into the general dental pra general practice uh, uh, situation where a dentist is you know, kind of making a crown or an onlay, and now the preparation becomes a little bit like, you know, it's a little deep and he's got to put a base, the patient's sensitive. You know, that becomes an issue. So I think also going back to the younger dentist, they, the, the problem that they have is they're not really sure how to prep and they're not really sure if that tooth's going to need the endo and they can't preempt that. And then it becomes like, oh, juice, I just did this. I just did this uh, Seric. It looked amazing. It fits. But now the patient's sensitive. So that's a management of a tooth standpoint. They have to learn that. I learned it. You know, you have to know how to prep. Uh, but, but it's a, it's a, it's, it's, it's an issue. So I always, I always err on the other side, Mrs. Jones, I'm going to stop right now. This is a little bit too deep. I'm going to put a provisional on and I don't, we're going to see if you're sensitive, if you're sensitive. We're going to have to have a root canal. If you're not sensitive, I have everything ready. I'm going to print the crown. You can come in tomorrow. See, that's like backing off saying, I'm not sure it could be an endo it may not be. And usually it's 50, 50, you know, once you prepare the tooth, half the patients need endo, half the patients don't. So I say, look, it's a 50-50 chance. Let's just put a temp on it. I have the Seric ready for you. So if you're not sensitive, I can pop off the temp, put it in there next week, and we're good. So your, your initial thing is, hey, we're doing this in one visit, but you see everything, you back off, you change your position at that point, not making an excuse afterward. I think the problem that most general dentists have, especially the young ones, they're in the mode of, I got to make a tooth, put the tooth in, and then they have a problem. They're not right, thinking right. outside the box, like, wait a minute, this is a little deep. She may have a problem. They kind of have that myopic view of just, yeah, just seeing the tooth as as it's as an entity and not attached to the patient. You know, one thing that I I kind of talk with some of my referring docs, and I always try to encourage them with the heavily restored tooth, there's a phenomenon within endodontics kind of known as like the, the stress pulp kind of phenomenon. And if it's a heavily restored tooth, there's certain, you know, there's going to be different uh, parameters that you'll probably evaluate for. And then also characteristics you'll look for on the imaging recess pulp chamber canal seem to be a little bit more calcified. Uh, you may see just widening of the PDL. So just to, it never hurts to get a little pulp vitality testing, some sensibility yeah. testing preemptively before you go ahead and start to prep that tooth just to see how it responds. But and another factor, Dr. Marcus, another factor is the, uh, the age of the patient. All right. So that's indeed age. You know, I always tell my doctors, it's, yeah, 20 to 30, 30 to 40, 40, 50, 50, 60. You know, you got these 10-year increments where the, the patient had an, uh, a big filling in their 20s, and now it's their 30s. All right, she's still alive. She's still got some good vitality. That's a different type of maybe sensitive patient. Now you get a 60-year-old patient with a 40-year-old filling. 
you know, you got secondary dentin. You take out the amalgam. It's dark dentin. It's really hard. <laughs> right. You know, that's not an endo case. That's going to be fine. Uh, so, so I think looking at the age of the patient, um, a lot of times it happened this week where we, we, the patient cracked the tooth. She's 70 years old. I can't see the pulp chamber. Now I got a dilemma. Do I send to the endo and him try to battle through a, a calcified root, which is a miserable thing? You know, by the way, ladies and gentlemen, if you're a general dentist and you're sending it to the endodontist and you can't see the pulp, he can't see it or she can't see it either. So it's not, <laughs> they don't have magic tools. No flash, flash alert. <laughs> you know, 70 years old, you don't see it. It ain't there. So I'm not going to go ahead and send that patient to endo, which is kind of weird because we need to make a post in there. So I go myself, take time for yourself. You have the patient now anyway. I go in there and I try to find the canal myself. And it happened yesterday, I mean, two days ago. And I, I, I couldn't find it, I couldn't find it, I couldn't. I kept going and then I found it. I said, I can't, I found it. She's like, what does that mean? I can Hallelujah. send you to the endo, <laughs> you know? So it was, it was, it's like sometimes you got to think outside the box. You can't just send people to endo and then they're fighting with the calcification. Then the patient's paying for a root canal that they didn't get. And it's back to your office and everybody's kind of like, well, what do we do to the tooth? Oh, let's take it out and put an implant. No, she's 70 years old. It's a 25 millimeter root. I'm not taking it out. You know, we're saving this tooth. So yeah, these are the, the critical decisions, critical thinking that we have to uh, really tell our young dentists because it's not always cut and dry, you know? Yeah, dentistry is really, uh, you know, kind of on the fly sometimes you have to adjust. But I did want to just point out one thing. Uh, I like that you're, you know, with your experience, you're able to navigate those canals. But now with the CBCT, the microscope, advanced irrigation, those calcified cases are becoming a little bit more uh, approachable. And, uh, you know, we have favorable outcomes. So if you ever do have a concern, you know, I'm always happy to evaluate that or yeah, any yeah, endodontist. You know, I got to tell you, I, I, my daughter's in dental school now. Oh, my goodness. She started, That's a, that, what a joy. Yeah, it's, 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 it's like having a baby. You're like, you're so enamored <laughs> I just had a little boy. My son's five months. Somebody else, somebody else is obsessed the way we are. You know, it's such such an amazing thing. And uh, and I go down and she's at NSU Florida Nova, and I go down every month because I'm an adjunct professor of prosthodontics. So I said I'm going to come down there and teach every every month. Uh, I walk into the prostho clinic. It's great. I go into the endo clinic. They got 10 microscopes. 10. Oh, yeah. High tech. 10 residents, 10 microscopes. I'm like, finally, the school figured it out. You know what I mean? It was so great to see. I was so happy to see that, that their technology advanced, Prosto's technology advanced, uh, Perio's using the CBCT. So I'm telling you right now, this school, the dean, Dean Kaltman, is doing an amazing job down there. If anybody's thinking about their, your kids going to school, I'm just going to tell you emphatically, it's a phenomenal dental school down there, and I'm loving it being there. So I'll just let you know. I love hearing that. And, you know, speaking of which, you know, with, with all the advanced technology, there's still always kind of a uh, the bane of the endodontist, so to speak, and that's the cracked tooth. So I'm really interested to just kind of understand how are you all managing cracked tooth, you know, within your practice? Because there was a recent article, I would say, you know, within 2021, uh, came out in New York Times and prosthodontist Dr. Tammy Chen was commenting on how many cracked teeth that she's seen since the pandemic. And this has been a phenomenon that I've seen in my practice, my referring doctors and, you know, in, just in New across York. the board. In New York. <laughs> well, you know, uh, New York, we're going to have a probably double amount just due to the yeah. fact that, you know, you're bracing the subway and you're like, what's going on? You know, you got to stay yeah. vigilant. I was in New York. <laughs> Those of you in Oklahoma, you got it nice. Oh, man. <laughs> you know, I had somebody up my good buddy 
uh, Perry Don is uh, in Oklahoma. But so how are you managing the crack tooth? And are you always restoring those with crowns when they become symptomatic? Are you referring those to endo? You know, what are you seeing in your practice? So a great point there. Um, I look at it as three types of crack teeth. It's a crack teeth, again, age group, 20 to 40. Uh, they bite down. They don't have pain. They have pain when they let go. Mm-hmm. The big diagnosis, right? They, they say, Doc, yes. I'm eating and it hurts. Young patient. And they bite down the cotton roll. They don't have, is that hurt? They, they say, no, it's, they let go. Ow. So it's a let go pain. That means we have some pressure. We have a minor crack. Uh, on those kind of cases, I'll put a, a provisional on and see if that goes away. I, I mean, agree. That's pretty I much agree. straight. You can't see it on the x-ray. You can't see it on CBCT. That's like the initial kind of minimal crack. It doesn't have to be a filling. It could be natural teeth. I've seen it on natural teeth. I used to think yes. it was only fillings. I used to think it was only <laughs> so you got that that kind of range. Now you got the patient with uh, a 40 to 60, old amalgam, you know, uh, buccolingual wall, bite down pain, right? You know it's cracked. On the on the CBCT, you see the crack, endo. Again, secondary crack, endo, and then again, crown temporary, no pain, everything's okay. We're gonna make the crown. Then obviously you got the, the crack where you, you kind of see the crack. I mean, you can't save the tooth. So uh, the other two are, are, I think, I think 50% of them are in that middle range. You got 10, 20% of the young patient, you got 10, 20% that's cracked, you can't save it. So you got about 50, 60% that those teeth, you can you can feel it. They, they, as they're biting down, they have a, a, a crack. Now, subcategory of that, we have the people that have crowns on natural teeth, right? Now that's a different story because you really can't see the crack you got the crown on there, and now it's like, do we save the tooth? Do we go to endo, or do we take the tooth out? You know, those are the tougher ones, I think, when you have a restoration and you can't physically see anything. Yes, uh, then yeah. The other subcategory is the already endodontally treated teeth with posts, and those we see on the CBCT scan where they're cracked, and we got to take the tooth out. Yeah, those those are those are the hopeless ones. You know, I, yeah. I like the fact that you're giving teeth the chance. You know, the first cohort you kind of mentioned where they have the biting upon release. Yeah. I'm all in support and advocate, uh, you know, full coverage. And, you know, when we look at classic literature, uh, we just put out a new paper, uh, Colleagues for Excellence, Keith Krell, who's, you know, Iowa just legend. And uh, he talks about cracked teeth, him and um, Eric Rivera. Maybe 20% of those will go on to need endo. So it's nice to hear that you're actually trying to save those teeth. But when we talk about cracked teeth, how does occlusion come into play? And more so, the type of material are we using, you know, porcelain fused to metal, uh, you know, any sort of uh, Emacs. What are you usually restoring these teeth with to help prevent against the forces and the occlusal sort of a trauma in these cracked well, that's teeth? A, that's like a three-part question. So Take your time, Doc. You're the man. You know, let's go to the first <laughs> part. The first part is a patient bites down. They, they have a filling or, or even a crown. And something on the top or lower, is a, there's a plunger cusp. We call that a cusp that's been worn away over time. And that's what's causing the problem. So the first thing I look at and I tell my docs, take a look around what's happening. And you got this big, you know, second molar, whether it's a, a crown or an implant. Sometimes the implants are cracking the teeth now. Uh, and you got a plunger cause. I go, you got to change the environment. You're going to make a new crown. It's no it's no use trying to make a, a new filling or a new crown in a bad environment. Right. So you talk about occlusion. Exactly. Yeah. You got right. a bad environment breaking something. You're going to make a new crown and it's still going to break it. You got to change the upper teeth. And level everything out because as time goes on, fatigue and stress, 
they've worn that filling down and that tooth has extruded. Now you got a big cusp going down it and then it finally cracks it. So to me, I got to change the environment, soften out the cusps, make the new crown. And again, when you talk to dentists, I just did, we had about 600 dentists last week uh, with four different programs that I did. And I asked the same question in each of the, the lectures and the presentations. I said, what do you want in your mouth? Second molar. One guy said gold. One guy said PFM. One guy said Emax. One guy said zirconia. So, you you know, I think the dentists are also very, very specific to what it, they want to do from their experiences, right? I've yeah. had experience with zirconia. I don't like it. doesn't really fit well. It's, they say it's strong, but it doesn't really fit well. So it's, a, it's, a, it's an oxymoron to me. Uh, obviously, gold has been great, but nobody wants that. Uh, PFM is still about 70% of our cases. Uh, Emax, maybe 35% of our cases. Let's go back. Let's say PFM, 50%, Emax, 35%, and then 15% philspathic with, with the anterior teeth. But I'm very, very low on the zirconia because it doesn't really fit well and it doesn't bond well. So the bonding dentists out there yeah. think that it's strong. They're bonding it. It's not really bonded. It's still a metal. They don't have a good bond strength on the zirconia and they got leakage over time and then they have cracking of the teeth or dislodgement of the of zirconia. So to me, it's a strong material, but it doesn't fit. It's a billion dollar business. Everybody's buying zirconia. I'm not on, <laughs> I'm not on the train. Sorry. So, so if we're talking about zirconia, I guess you're putting bevels on your preps. You're really trying. It sounds like it, it's. Yes, you have. Yeah, this is another big to. problem with dentists. They have a shoulder on a zirconia. Uh-huh. They put the zirconia in, and if you ask any dentist the truth, everybody said it. I had a room of 120 people. I said, does your zirconia dance? Does your crown dance before you cement it? <laughs> They're like, yeah. I go, you got dancing crown. That means it doesn't fit. So if you put a bevel on that, you change the closing angle, you thicken up the zirconia. Hey, now you got a good closing angle. Now you got a good fit. You can feel it. It fits down. So beveling is, again, something that's not being taught in the dental schools. We got learned with that, but they don't know what a bevel is. They don't even know how to make a bevel. So now you got a preparation issue with a, a material that doesn't really bond it. You got to cement. You got to loot it. You got to cement it. It's, it's a different mentality, but I'm telling you, I've seen it, and it doesn't work that way. This, the shoulder preps don't work. For Emacs, vital teeth, it works because you got a great bond strength on Emacs. With zirconia, you don't have that bond strength. Tell your GPs that they don't really have a bond strength. I don't know how many. This is a question for you guys. How many endodontic treatments are you doing through zirconia? Oh my, way too many, and I, I go you. through and I thank go through you. so many so diamond I'm, burrs trying to get thank through. You. So I'm right <laughs> that it's not fitting. They're getting leakage. They're getting sensitivity, and you got to do endos through through um, through um, zirconia crowns. It's a disaster. You guys and know now. You know. And it takes an extra 10 That's minutes why. to get through those bad boys. And you know, it's, it's interesting though. I guess maybe it's the paradigm shift of adhesive dentistry. It's like, okay, bonding, bonding, bonding. You know, I had a great conversation uh, with David Allman and Davey Allman. We were talking kind of from the bio biomedic perspective and, uh, you know, just the advantages of bonding and how we're talking about margin, deep margin elevation. You know, and I, I kind of, classify myself as a restorative based endodontist. You know, I'll try to do caries directed access and preserve a lot of the, 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 the dentin that's so important to resist against fracture. But what do you kind of see minting with? Are you using Duralon or are you kind of, uh, you know, what is your go-to when you're with if adhesive dentistry? PFM or if we're doing zirconia with a bevel, it's got to be Duralon. Duralon, got See, it. That protects the pulp, period. Yes. If you're doing a bonded restoration with Emacs, 
you have to use a dentin sealer. You need to etch and use a dentin sealer. Now, yes. if you have a again, if you have a young patient, if you have a young patient, this is what I see. A young patient's got super high nerve endings. So now, uh, do I really want to etch the whole crown there? I'm going to start the the, edge, the sensitivity process. So here's a big two, a little trick. If you put etching on a natural number 18, 19, on a young patient, 30 to 40, or 20 to 40, you're 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 exciting these dentinal tubules. It's different on a cavity. It's different on a crown. What we do now, we don't we don't etch with uh, regular etching on the crowns. We use a micro etcher. Yes. Okay. Now, what did I do? I, I, I slightly opened up the dental tubules. I've cleaned out the surface because there's no bacteria. We do a, a, a chlorohexidine rinse on it. And now we put the dentin bonding agent in there for about a minute to soak in the dentin bonding agent. That takes at least a minute. The manufacturer say 15 seconds. I'm like, no, a minute. We put it in there. We slowly air dry. And now we cure that. That's sealed. I seal the tooth. I'm going to probably have really, really low sensitivity. Now, the next step, if you're bonding, is you put your bonding material like Emacs. Now, if you have zirconia, you're not getting a bond to that. So that's the issue that you guys are having, that, that you're doing endo on zirconia. They think they have a bond. They don't have a really good prep. The thing's not really fitting around. Patient's eating, and the thing is dancing and shifting, and they're hurting. Yes. Not to mention that they didn't really check the bite like 20 times. And they couldn't even adjust it to <laughs> polish it. It's just disaster. Oh, man. Uh, Occlusion is a, a whole nother conversation. But I love what you said about the dentin sealing, immediate dentin sealing to protect dentin that seal, pulp. Every protect, case you have to. Every case. And you can't get the cheap ones. Okay? No way. <laughs> Talk about it. Like save $2. Okay. <laughs> I'm, trying, I'm trying to use this cheap dentin from like, you know, I don't know, from a company in, in somewhere else. And, and you got to use, what we use is Ivoclar Excite. I found it to be the most uh, uh, desensitizing tooth. Uh, it works on every case, veneers, crowns, fillings. It is the best. It is the most expensive, yes. But I don't want to deal with sensitivity. So you want to spend another 20 bucks and like relieve your, your, your patients from stress. That's the material. Ivoclar Excite. I don't make any money from it. I'm not a, a KOL. I'm just telling you what works. And that's, and that's what's cool about you have being uh within dentistry so long and, and serving in that mentorship role we're learning from your mistakes essentially and i'm i'm 10 years out now and so i, I teach residents and, I and you know and, and that's really where wisdom comes from so it's nice to have people like you are so willing to share but also your craft it, it speaks for itself uh you know we, we know you have a celebrity clientele not that i'm shooting everybody like your your mom same way right. i do little, little disclosure but <laughs> celebrities are not good patients just saying Sometimes they don't want to pay too. <laughs> Forget about the money. They just they cancel every appointment. It's terrible. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, well, from that standpoint, that's kind of where Indo has your beat. Because when you have a toothache, you'll that's come, true. you're gonna keep that appointment. That's true. <laughs> the best patients to this day are secretary, administrative assistants, uh, the the lawyers, uh, the architects, the CEOs. They never miss their cleaning appointment. They're on point, their schedule's tight, they're great patients. Nobody knows how much money they have. Probably have more than the celebrities, but they're always on time, always pay their bill. Those are my favorite clients. You, you know, really, we should be kind of talking now about time management. I know you said your your daughter's in uh, dental school. Do you have a son too? I I have a son. He's 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 making money. He's he's, uh, he's already I, out. Of, he he finished yeah. NYU, right? He's, time, he's done. Time management. Time management. <laughs> time management. Yeah. Time management is, is a day course for dentists. Oh, it's it has to dentists be like a waste so much course. time 
I even in the Prost residency, even I see them in, in private practice. I'm watching and I'm saying they're just blowing time out of the out of the water. I'll give you an example. There are very many dentists that work five days a week. Okay. And they make mm -hmm. X amount of dollars, right? Gross, gross income, X amount of dollars. I know myself included and three other of us that make work three days a week and make double what they make. I love it. It has nothing to do with the fees. Forget about Efficiency. the Efficiency. Yeah. You're just efficient, man. You got to be efficient. I learned that my first year out of school. I spent three years with this guy in Jackson, in Jackson Heights, Queens. He was, this guy was an operator, wasn't the best dentist in the world, but boy, can he manage time? And I used to look at him, I go, how are you doing all that? How are you seeing five patients in an hour? It was, it was mind blowing to me. And the, I mean, the detail was there. It wasn't like he was being sloppy. He just had everything to a time that was so impressive from that day. I was like, oh, okay. You know what? We don't have to be have five patients in an hour, but I definitely can have two in an hour and manage the time schedule. So me and my office manager spend hours every week looking at the schedule, switching the times mm. so that I yes. know that she doesn't know what I'm going to do on Joanne. She doesn't know that Joanne's crazy and I'm going to get in and get out. She thinks I need an hour. <laughs> no, I'm getting in an hour in 10 minutes on that lady. So put her on the side. So, you know, <laughs> you have to be able to communicate to your uh, front desk and say, you know, if it's endo, the same thing. You know, you know that this person's crazy. You're going to need more time. You That's know, I'm, the, doing yeah. a filling, I'm doing a filling on Mark. That's an hour and a half. Okay? Yeah. Okay. I'm doing uh, uh, four veneers on on, jo on Joanne, and I know it's going to be 50 minutes. So you have to know your patients. You have to know, what, you know where you are so that you can be really efficient with your time. And, and I guess I would say that's one of the big advantages of you being able to have that multi-specialty practice. You can communicate almost in real time in the same space. Yep. I guess what we'll do is now is let's take a break from our sponsors. At EPP, we are your partners in success. By affiliating with Premier Endodontic Practices, Endodontic Practice Partners aims to elevate the standard of care and believes in letting our practitioners focus on their core clinical responsibilities. Our mission is clear to provide business expertise and resources that empower our partner practices and amplify growth opportunities. How do we achieve this? By seamlessly integrating. We're not just colleagues, but a community working towards a common goal. The value of being part of a larger entity benefits all. We are growing in selective states to maximize the opportunities and impact for our partners. With 100 doctors and 65 practices, collective success drives individual achievements. Together, we lead the way. Visit endodonticpracticepartners.com to learn more and meet us in person at AAE24 in LA. All right. Thank you so much. We are back. One of the challenges of being an endodontist is we see patients maybe once or twice and they always say, oh, I hope I never see you again. Yes. We never take offense. <laughs> right. I'm it's like, true. I'll see you in Whole Foods, <laughs> but never in the chair. But yeah. you just don't know how nervous that patient will be, that how much anxiety are they going to be profoundly numb? So time management is something that endodontists are always trying tip. to perfect, you know? I'm going to give you an endodontic tip. Let, let's hear your it. Office manager, your office manager has to be able to triage over the phone. She's amazing. Kim, big shouts to Kim, by the way. Okay, so you got your office manager, Kim. She's amazing. Put a couple more questions on her list. Here's a couple more questions. Hey, Mrs. Johnson, I know you're coming in for your root canal. We haven't seen you before. How has been your experience with root canals in the past? Keywords. I love that. Okay. Another question. Uh, when Did you ever have endodontics? No, this is my first experience. Ugh. Let's make it amazing. Okay. 
have you had any other endo experience in the past? Yes, I've had tons of root canals. All right, that's mm. a green light. So she says she's had a lot of it. She knows the process. And then another question. How are you with anesthesia? Do you have a tough time getting numb? Oh, yeah, they gave me 100 shots last time. Bang. So you know that you're already dealing with somebody who's super hypersensitive. They need many shots. They've never had endo. These are important questions to ask that I think a lot of the endo uh, office managers need to ask. In the we do the same thing on our end. Did you have, have orthodontics done? How many sessions of orthodontics? Did you ever have Invisalign done? Yes. How many sessions have you had? How many years did you have it? These are important questions. Before she walks in, I know that's an ortho patient. Well, guess what? Those teeth have been moving for many, many years. So I have a different perspective on the occlusion on that. So these are questions that we do preemptively that gives us an insight of what am I dealing with here? Wow. You know, I really appreciate that. And they can't really see, but I was actually taking notes. And, you know, and that's what's so cool about being in this position as a host is I'm able to engage with oh, experts yeah, like gonna, yourself and, and, and i'm learning a lot I'm, I'm gonna come i'm gonna come up to your office dog we're gonna hang out uh, yeah. and actually yeah. big shout out to um you know i was hanging with uh, some of your i guess past students the other night and everyone loves you you have a gregarious personality it's easy to see why uh you have a lot of success and you know uh big shouts to of course we, new york we university it, we call it, we call it <laughs> industry straight shooter we're straight shooting. we don't there's no fluff just tell the truth yeah just just get to the point, right? Yep. And so, you know, I, I want to be mindful of your time, but I, I did want to just kind of get your thoughts on post-placement. And then also, if you were to have an endodontist, well, you do have an endodontist in your uh, practice, how would you feel if he were to maybe restore certain cases while he's under isolation? What are your thoughts on that? Because that's been a paradigm shift where we see more and more endodontists practicing restorative endodontics because the literature is pretty replete and it's unequivocally states that the best time to restore the tooth is at the time of endodontic completion. All right. So, so it's a multi-tier question. I have a couple of opinions on that. First of all, if I find an endodontist that knows how to place a post, God bless him. Go get him. I don't care. I don't care. <laughs> I'm not trying to make money on a post. That, that, that's, that's, again, small thinking mentality. If yeah. that endodontist does an endo and he puts the post in my technique, you got to use my technique, Okay. Uh, uh, um, I think that's value added to the patient. God bless you. Charge for the post. I don't care. Give me back what I wanted. Now I can prep the case. You just saved me time. You saved him time. We're still going to make money and the patient's happy. So to me, what is the best for the patient? hundred percent. I had an endodontist. He was amazing, but he moved to Hawaii. He's doing great in Hawaii. Can't but, blame him uh, for Hawaii. <laughs> can't blame him for that. I was like so jealous. He was going to Hawaii. <laughs> He was so amazing in our office. And I taught him my technique. And to this day, he texts me every now and then. He's like, Doc, I did your post technique again because these guys don't want to do it. They're scared. They want to break the tooth. And he goes, everybody loves your technique. It still works. It's awesome. So we use flexi post. I'm in the philosophy of every tooth needs to post. I, I'm not in the philosophy of carbon fiber posts. They break. You can break them in your hand. You can't see them on the x-ray. Very bad. Not a good situation. Uh, I want a flexi post in there. No cast post because that hurts teeth. But I can get a passive flexi post in with Duralon cement and core buildup. That's our protocol. It works really, really well. But you must get the head of that flexi post down on the dentin. You can't have it sitting up because then it's going to crack. So gotcha. it's a really specific technique. Um, so that's one answer. Yes, I don't care. You can do anything you want if, as long as you use my technique and I get a post back with a core. And I'll teach you how to do that. I will show you how to do that. You'll be very successful. You're, if the, de the de dentist doesn't want to put posts in the course, that's fine. If they want to do it themselves because they want to make more money, then at least you got to do that. But, 
but but that technique works. That's the first thing. Yes, the answer is yes. The second question that you had was, uh, I think you said I, after the post is in. Or what was the question that you had? Yeah, I, I guess it was, you kind of answered it. Just the more the the, the paradigm shift of the restorative based endodontics, because what we're seeing oh. is that. Right. Deep margin elevation with adhesive dentistry. Do you believe in that? Is this really um, juice? Is crown lengthening? I, I kind of feel crown lengthening is almost no, like it's, no, your it's point, a concept. I, it's it's, it's not part. a rule. Here's you know? one of the endodontic problems, and I'm going to be honest with you because I've seen endodontists up and down for 30 years. One of the problems that a couple of endodontists have, they are so focused on getting the canal, they forget that, the, that there's decay there. So you talk about restorative dentistry. I want you to get to the canals, fill your canals. But then right before you're ready to close, let's take out this decay. Here's my post drill. Here's my uh, core buildup. I'm going to give it to you. You're going to have it. You're going to put the bonding in it. And you're going to fill up the spaces that you just took out. Because if you just put cabbage G in there and fill it up, the, bite, the patient may bite and then they crack. Exactly. Now you got an endo that you just finished. They crack the tooth. That's a yes. serious problem. And not and every huge problem. And Vienna Dallas has been kind of like gotten to this point from the GP telling him, just do the endo. I'll take care of everything else. So the guy's like, okay, I'm just going to take care of the endo. <laughs> and then they kind of close their mind of like, hey, wait a minute. There's a whole bunch of undermined enamel here. I got to take out the decay, etch it, bond it, make the core build up, leave the space for the post if he wants to do it, but protect the tooth. Protect the tooth after you're finished with your endo because they're biting down. They're biting, and then they crack it. You just did the endo. They paid $2,000, and now the patient's like, I just broke the tooth. Oh, you got to take it out. That was a problem of an endo not taking care of the decay inside. So that's just my two cents on go to the extra mile and save the tooth before it starts cracking. When we talk about saving teeth, what about occlusal reduction? You know, we know the tooth is cracked. We know it's undermined. How much are we reducing? Are we following the bull rule? What, what would you have your endo would you just have them keep occlusion as is or just flatten the cusp? No, two questions before you do anything. Hi, Doc. Are you going to put a crown or a filling? Crown? Cut it off. No occlusion. Leave it out of occlusion. Out of occlusion. If I'm putting a crown, just cut it down a millimeter out of occlusion. I'm fine. Gotcha. Doc, All are cusp. Putting, are you putting a filling or, or a crown on? Putting a filling in. All right. Leave everything as, as it is. Take it down maybe a half a quarter of a millimeter so it's not hitting hard. But if I'm doing a crown, just level it off. Just level it off. I don't want any occlusion. I don't want the tooth to break. By the time you get from you to me three weeks later, I don't want the tooth to break. So just have a millimeter off out of occlusion. It saves the PDL. It allows the, the, the tooth to heal. And I'm going to put a crown on it. Anyway. But don't do two millimeters, three millimeters. No, do like a millimeter off. So it's out of, it's out of occlusion. And and also if... That's a uh, phone call. That's a phone call text message. Are you crowning or are you filling? That's what you got to ask. No, it's good advice. And, and what about... If the tooth does come back temporized, do you prefer cotton? Because, you know, it's going to have the wick. It can hold bacteria. No, 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 Cabot. no cotton. No cotton. Thank Throw you. Throw the cotton away. Throw the One cotton more away. Time. Say, say it again. It's got to be, it's gotta be the, I like the yellow Teflon. Yellow Teflon. Yes, the Teflon. Yes. Teflon yellow is Teflon good. is my favorite. If you guys start using that, and gals, sorry, guys, gals, you guys start using that. It's, it's to me as a dentist, I can see the yellow. I can pull it out, and I'm ready to go. And it has some antimicrobial uh, properties, too, if you get the right one. And, uh, you know, Cavit, you know, I'm not a big fan. I usually kind of use, like, to be honest, like a dual cure, temporary uh, restorative material, that's, like that's a dual temp. Fine. We're going to take it out. Whatever you put in, we'll take it out. Yeah. Well, well, you know, I mean, Dr. Dean, you're just a wealth of knowledge. And, you know, before I let you go, uh, what is some advice that you would maybe say for, you know, we've seen a lot of uh, employment models 
or just, you know, practice models, you know, the private practice, you know, you can obviously be an educator, the DSO space is changing. What's some advice that you just want to impart to our listeners, uh, specifically endodontists, maybe looking to get into the workforce? And and, and where do you see that? I think what is this heading? Yeah, here's the beauty about dentistry. And here's the confusion about dentistry. The beauty about dentistry, you need to close your eyes, uh, envision where you want to be, close your eyes, say, how do I want to work? As an endodontist, you have so many great options. I'll give you a couple. I want to. I don't want to be a business owner. I want to work for the best DSOs and the best uh, group practices, and I want to work three, four days a week, and I don't want to run a business. What a great model. You go in there, you work, you make your percentage, you leave. Awesome. But you pick nice offices that really actually understand the care. And you can charge, you know, premium for your work. My father told me, where can you charge the most for the same crown that you're making? And I said, Manhattan. He goes, go to Manhattan. <laughs> Straightforward. Simple, I love it. Very simple man. <laughs> and it worked. So so that's a beauty about, about endodontics. You can go to the best, best practices, get your skill. Listen, you got to get your skill set. You got to get your communication skill set. You got to look appropriate for the part to charge $2,500 for a ring you got to be that part if you want to. So that's one dream. Second dream, I want to own my practice. I have a really good patient. Uh, uh, I have a lot of friends in this area that I live in. A lot of people trust me because they like my personality. I'm going to start my own office, and I'm going to go ahead and take care of all these GPs that have mediocre endodontists working on them, and I'm going to take over this area where I live, and I'm going to be the best endodontist in the area with the best technology and the best office. That's a beautiful dream. So you got to find what you really like. Everything's available to you. Everything is available to you. So another little piece of advice, go to the best endodontist in your area and just ask him to shadow. Pick and choose the things that you see from that endodontic practice. We can't figure it out on your own. People have done it for 30 years. Somebody can teach you something. The same thing with restorative prosto guys. I said, come to the office, go to the other offices, see different things, how they do their tools, how they have their their workflow, how they have their uh, microscope set up, how their office manager works, how they're off. You got to go out and see the different things so you can kind of formulate what you really want to do. This is what I did. I spent my first seven years out of Prosto learning what everybody else was doing, just looking. This guy who had a really great reputation, he's an endodontist, and you go hang out with him, and his personality is horrible. <laughs> horrible. And you can't learn from him because the guy's crazy, right? Then yeah. you go to this other endodontist that nobody knows, but his practice is amazing. But nobody knows who he is because you found him online somewhere. So you never know what's behind the door. I, I'm a very curious person. I was always curious as a child. What happened? How does that work? How does that? So I was always curious. How do you do your practice? How do you do your practice? How do you do that practice? And by doing that, I formulated my own little systems that I said, I'm going to take a little bit of all these people and become like a composite of all these teachers that I had. And that's how I started my first seven years out. And then I started developing and, and then also looking back at your cases. Wow, that didn't work. I got to change my mind on that. Hey, that didn't work. I'm not doing that anymore. Right. So you kind of formulate your ways over the next 10 years. The first 10 years, you learn how to do it. The second 10 years, you learn how to do it right. And then the last 10 years, you learn what not to do. <laughs> what not to do. You know, that advice is so valuable. And um you know, I just want to say that obviously you have a, a, a tremendous uh, reputation, you know, great personality. I'm sure patients love you across the board, but you 
have ability to understand that sometimes you have to change. And so I think that's really uh, something I can attribute to. You are able to recognize what you want and perceive it and then actually make the changes to get it. And unfortunately, Listen, a lot of people can't adapt to that. Yeah, you know, they just can't do it. It's a personality. <laughs> it's a personality thing. I, I, at 2004, I got digital. 2007, yeah. I got two digital scanners. 2010, I had five digital scanners. 2014, I got rid of my scanners and just got one. So I've been changing every four or five years because I see where my patterns, and you know what the real change comes to? My decision to make a change, it has to do with time. Got if it. I have a procedure that takes me an hour and a half and it has a great result, that's awesome. If I can get the same result in an hour, I'm changing my protocol. If I can get the same result in accuracy and, and, and aesthetics in a half an hour, I'm changing my protocol. So I need to change my protocol based on time, not on money and not on, and also, also patient experience. So if I can get a better exp patient experience at a less amount of time with the same product, that's a move for me, right? It's a move for me. So, so that's how my brain works. That's how I do my office. Uh, not, that's not for everybody. But to me, it's never been about the money. It's always been about the experience, the end result, and can I teach it, right? I don't like doing techniques that I cannot teach because then I'm the only one doing it. It's not exciting. I love when my dentist called me back and said, I did your technique. I made your recipe. It actually, I made the same cake you made, right? <laughs> right. Thing to see them make the same cake that I'm making. You know, the recipe worked. So if That's the recipe legacy worked, right and, there. And, and, and then 25, 30 people are doing the recipe. Now understand 30 years ago, what was the mentality of the educators 30 years ago? They'd say, this is my thing. You can't see this. Only I can do it. And you need to refer to me so that I can do it. <laughs> And I'm like, what? How could you not tell me what you're doing? How could you not progress the profession? Totally the opposite today. It's like I'm like giving everybody my recipe and tell me that it's working. And then I've done something for our society. And I think we've done a great job. So, you know, my teachers, my faculty at NYU have been amazing. Uh, uh, all my faculty and, and my staff. and I mean, just great people who believe in the same concept that I believe that Everybody has a chance to become a, a great, great professional. And that's what we do. We give everybody a 100% pathway to become uh, a professional. And this whole thing about there's, you know, too many endodontists in one area, too many prosthodontists, in one, that's all nonsense. The only competition you have is yourself. You have to go out there and get that information and learn about it and want to learn. That's who you're competing with, yourself. You know what? I'm, I'm, I'm I'm confused. I don't know if I'm speaking with Tony Robbins or Dr. Dean, your <laughs> motivational speaker right here. You know, I, I really appreciate that. Motivating. If... I got to pump you up with a Dr. <laughs> Dean injection. I'm injecting you with Dr. Dean philosophy, which means this you is... can be the best. You can be the best. This is great. There's no, yeah, there's this no is limit. really good. There's no this limit. This is good. And, and, you know, you're a quintessential educator, and I always feel that, you know, uh, teaching is the most noble profession. And uh, like I said, I've been able to speak with a lot of students who have come through your program always high reviews, always very uh, excited and, uh, you know, just very motivated to take anything that they've learned and apply it and they apply it very well. So uh, Dr. Dean, I can't thank you enough. You know, you're always a friend of the podcast. You know, I hope that we can uh, find time in the big city to catch up and, you know, rendezvous over a drink or something, but I'll give you, anytime. I'll give you, before we leave, I'll give you my challenge. <laughs> yes. You come to the office and you got to drink tequila. Hey, siempre. Let's go. I'll be there. <laughs> All right, man. Thanks a lot. I love this. This is awesome. You're great. Oh, this great is work. awesome. Okay. Thanks so much. And all the best to you. Okay. Lift this week. Have a great day. All right. Thanks so much, Doc. Take care. 
Hey, before you go, I'd like to give a special thanks to our sponsor. As endodontists, we're better together. The work we do changes lives, but it can also be overwhelming. That's why Specialty One Partners exist. We help your practice run smoothly so you can spend more time providing premium care to your patients. Receive all the advantages of joining a larger group of dental professionals while preserving your individual brand, culture, and team. Your specialty is our specialty. Ensuring your ability to focus on your patients and your future is what we do best. Join the original and fastest growing partnership organization founded and led by Indodonis by visiting SpecialtyOnePartners.com. Thank you for listening to this episode of Endo Voices. Don't forget to subscribe so you can catch all of our upcoming episodes covering the hottest topics in endodontics. As always, we welcome your questions, comments, and ideas for future show topics and guests. Email us at endovoices at aae.org and visit aae.org for more information on the American Association of Endodontists.